Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Monster Dear Monster, a podcast where we explore monsters from uh, their uh, beginnings in antiquity to their modern day incarnations through film, literature, and, oh, occasionally video games. But today we <laughs> will be speaking about a film film that I'm very excited to talk about because, uh, as I mentioned on Twitter, for those of you who listen, who follow me, uh, this is a, uh, much like Return to Oz, this is, this is why Leonard's like this, uh, <laughs> movie. Um, we are talking about the, uh, 1988 Terry Gilliam classic, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And I am joined by the full uh, cast and crew of theater actors today, Dave. Hello. And Cameron. Hey, yo, everyone. And I am super stoked to talk about this movie because this is <laughs> one of those movies that yep. really just kind of informed. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, this. This lives mm. in your brain rent-free forever, doesn't it? <laughs> um, Leonard doesn't often get giddy, but we've got giddy Leonard. Yeah, there I really is. love this movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I really love this movie. This, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull back the curtain. I when uh, we were originally supposed to uh, cover this last week, but um, <laughs> there was illness and um, mm -hmm. more illness stacked on yep. top of illness. Uh, uh, and I have to say that when I was rewatching this, uh, film for the first time in over a decade, I was, uh, got more than a little misty. I was like, oh, I remember all of this and it's so sweet and it's, it was like a warm blanket. Um, <laughs> uh, but Dave, as, as the antiquarian of the group, I'm sure you have some, uh, tasty, uh, Factoids, man. I haven't. Has anybody used that <laughs> word? Tasty factoids. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know about tasty factoids. Well, so the entirety of um, Baron Munchausen has been extant uh, at least since 1785, with the creation of the book Baron Munchausen's narrative of his marvelous travels and campaigns in Russia by one Rudolf Eric Rasp. Uh, and this is, this is, these tales are based um, loosely on a real Baron, uh, a German Baron, oh. Hieronymus Karl Friedrich Freher von Munchausen, uh, who, <laughs> at the time um, that, the, that the book was being, he was alive when these were being written, and he took some affront to um, the, the, the actual Baron Munchausen, uh, was something of a a, a braggart and g given mm. to telling of tall tales, and those traits were of course uh, expounded upon, um, blown further out of proportion in in the mm. um, the, the, the the tales uh, in the book, and the the Baron was upset with this. Uh, he, took, he took umbrage to this kind of characterized version of himself because it was wasn't even trying to like pretend to be somebody else <laughs> it's, it's his name is in there 
and so he was a bit upset about that but they uh, he and the author i think hatched up their ways um but the the tales themselves were so they're 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 veiled in um like a nationalistic spirit um there's a lot of colonialism there's a lot going on for the 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 german empire um, where it's putting the empire in a favorable light even though you're getting a kind of goofy main protagonist he's less goofy in these tales but that's he's telling lies that happen to be true because it's from his point of view everything's (laughs) true from a certain point of view kind of thing however they were they were so endearing um uh, at the time and have continued to, to do so uh in live action um the baron has been portrayed by seven different actors um from 1933 all the way to 2012 would be the most recent uh portrayal of the baron hmm. and there's been a few um uh plays radio plays uh, and yeah, it's, it's set. It's set. Um, while well, the the real Baron um, was fighting um, for the Russian Empire in the uh, Russian Turkish War of seventeen thirty five to seventeen thirty nine, which is the main setting of both the tales and of the film that we covered. Yeah. So these uh, these were really interesting. I took the time to also uh, since we had a little bit of a break. I. I was able to pull up on Amazon Prime um, the fabulous Baron Munchausen. It's a 1962 Czechoslovakian um, film. This was directed by Karl Zeman. Uh, it's live action, and so between the two films, uh, even though Terry Gilliam is is obviously of, of Monty Python fame originally, uh, this 1962 film, the, its art styling and its blending of animation and live action reminded me a lot of later Monty Python. So that was a neat sort of segue, and I and I wonder, I don't see other information, but I wonder if that's kind of what um, got Terry Gilliam on board with ad- ad- adapting this. So that's <coughs> something interesting, just the art styles. Was, it was very... It's art deco? I don't know what... <laughs> I don't know the exact style. It's It's very stylized. It's very 60s. Um, yeah. te- technicolor and single color palettes over these um, very intricate uh, um, pen and ink backgrounds, which mm. you 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 quickly just forget that they're like the characters are superimposed upon them. It it looks like it's just supposed to be that way. Um, mm. It worked. It worked really well. There's it's the same sort of tale of the the Baron escaping from. The Sultan, and it's it's interesting. I don't the 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 comedy aspect is very very like light in this one. It's very it's more it's more serious. Um, but I think we'll we'll return to that after we go through a bit of uh, what was going on in Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yes, um, and uh, just uh, for audience confirmation, uh, Cameron, this was yeah. your first experience with this film. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is one of my favorite parts of being on the show, is I get introduced to things that are, in this case, not 
too far before my time, but far enough before my time that uh, they never really hit my cultural palate, as it were. And man, man, was this a trip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yes. So, um, uh, the the movie begins, and we are given uh, a a brief uh, (laughs) uh, set up. I believe uh, the, the this is uh, set during the Age of Reason, um, yes. as as a, an unnamed town, which uh, I think it's it's important that the town doesn't have a name um, and is always simply referred to as the town is being uh, assailed uh, by the Ottoman army um, and. Uh, one of the most important things is that this is a 1988 film, uh, so there um, wasn't a lot of CG eye to mm. be used. Um, in fact, there is, I believe, one specific scene uh, where CGI is used in this movie, uh, and it is uh, used to uh, really, and I, I believe, a really brilliant effect given the limitations at the time. Uh, so everything in this movie is basically practical with some matte paintings, some, uh, model work, some puppeteering work. Um, uh, it's, it's all really kind of fantastic and charming because of course it's Terry Gilliam who did, uh, a lot of the, uh, animated segments for, um, Monty Python's Flying Circus and, and the Monty Python films. Uh, so... It's all wildly imaginative, and everything is on fire and exploding, and uh, and full of extras and actors having explosions go off literally every single like five seconds in this opening. Um, it's 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 kind of nuts. It's really dangerous looking. Uh, um but uh we had the setup so this town is besieged by the turks uh and uh the ottoman empire and uh we are introduced to uh the statue the destroyed statue of the baron uh where um that has a family living in uh his horse's head um <laughs> and we are introduced to our main character, uh, who we uh, learn her name as Sally Salt, uh, and she is graffitiing up a a, a um, uh, theater poster uh, for Salt and Sons Theater Troupe, uh, mm-hmm. where she simply crosses out the son and writes daughter. Um, then where uh, where kind of introduced to my uh my my favorite uh version of the personification of death uh only in statue form um and uh sally returns to the theater and we are are introduced to uh the the salt and sons theater company uh Guys, what did you think about this opening setup and everything that was going on? I'll let you go first, Cameron. Okay. Um, 
I got to agree, the pyrotechnics were pretty great, and there were a lot of them. Like it, it was really, really crazy. Um, it, it got it, it had that uh slight Monty Python esque feeling just with the setup because you know it's like the 18th century, the age of reason, Wednesday. Um, <laughs> that's great. Got got off on the good foot there. Um, and it is really like. It's really detailed and in-depth in terms of, like, the set and the costuming is all really, really fantastic. And it actually has, like, this real sense of verisimilitude. Uh, and then we get we get through all this opening with, you know, Sally um, trashing her father's flies, etc. Because, of course, it's Sultan's daughters, it's not Sultan's sons. Um, we get to the theatre, which I have to say is the most realistic uh, depiction of what it's like to be working in a theatre. <laughs> oh yes, that, you, you have experience, seen. right? Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a, a a pretty perfect parallel to every production I've ever been a part of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, uh, it is uh, a performance of the adventures of <laughs> the adventures of Baron Munchausen, uh, and he mm. is telling the story about the island of, of cheese. Um, there, and really like this theater set and, and the guts of the theater and the mm. background are really fantastic. And, yeah. um, so good. like just, just that, just that opening with the, the little, the little sun mechanism. Mm. I'm like, ah, oh, man, look at that. That's just like, it, it just feels like something that actually existed at one point mm. as, as a yeah. stage prop. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, the Baron is being played by Mr. Salt, uh, who is the hammiest of ham actors. Uh, uh, he's uh, perfect in how terrible he is. Uh, and, of course, uh, it is a theater production uh, in the middle of a town that's being sieged. So mm. there are explosions, like, every every three minutes. Uh, outside, uh, the, the, the theater crew are, are, um, uh, are, are stressed out and overworked because they are both stagehands and actors because, mm. uh, as we learn later, the rest of the theater company has been killed during the siege. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Dave, you, I, we skipped right past you. See, this skips right past me. Uh, <laughs> so, and to I guess reinterject. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even interjecting at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I I did watch this when it came out. It would have probably been a year or so later, knowing how distribution works back then, since I was in Germany. So probably mm. I was maybe eight years old uh, when I saw this. Yeah, and. Uh, what struck me this time, because I, I, last time was probably sometime in high school, so at least 20-something years ago was mm. the last time I watched this. Uh, again, like Leonard, I I fell into that rhythm of like, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen. I may have lost a couple of details, but I've, I know all the characters, the scenes, when they come up, I know what's going to happen, but it's just very comfortable. I was struck by the level of like violence 
So <laughs> it, yeah, and it makes sense in light of it's very it's very um, Python esque. It's it's over the top, mm. but it's still like going. It, it's another one of those questions like, what? My, why did my parents let me watch this? Um, but they did. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are. Uh, yeah, the, the, it, everything's very intricate. It feels like um, the whole movie feels like a play within a play, which they kind of mess around with um, as the movie mm. goes on. But yeah, the, the just the the set dressings, the costuming, the whole, all of it is is very on point, and it pulls you into that while still remaining like of the fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, we are also introduced to, uh, one of our, uh, one of our two antagonists. You would have thought the Ottoman Empire was clearly the antagonist, but no, there is a slimy bureaucrat played brilliantly by Jonathan Price, um, Mm. who is an absolute delight in every scene that he's in, um, (laughs) surrounded by yes men, Looking at paperwork, uh, managing the managing the conflict in in yeah. the most thoughtless not no absolutely actually just a horrifically pragmatic uh, sense like there's mm. no there's no um, uh, um, interest in uh, mitigating damages. It is literally one for you, one for me. We, we, we this is this is how things are. Um, mm. Yeah. Because it because war is messy, but we can because it is the age of reason, we can just agree to to lose some pieces on both sides, um, <laughs> which comes into uh, uh, really becomes apparent later in the film, um, and then we get a our first uh, uh, our first big cameo of the movie as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, when when Sting from the police just shows up as a <laughs> famous war hero. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, which is nuts when you think about it. And this is like super young Sting. This is like yeah. Dune is, Sting. Dune, yes. Dune hard body Sting. <laughs> yep. Uh, and and uh, he was a great hero who broke past enemy lines and killed a bunch of the Turks and rescued a bunch of soldiers and saved civilians. Uh, and uh, he is ordered to be executed because uh, his outlandish, outrageous actions only serve to demoralize other soldiers and the population. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's too good. Yeah, he's you know, too good. He'll make, he'll make you feel bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, which is really just like, if that's like the perfect character introduction, um, uh, for, for, uh, Dave, do you happen to have, have his character name on hand? Cause I don't mind referring to Jonathan Price as Jonathan Price all the time. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got it. it. He is, um, he is the right ordinary Horatio Jackson. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yes, and Horatio Jackson, uh, it, that it, it really is just like, and this is, this is, this is actually our antagonist. 
No, yeah. uh, he doesn't want anything amazing. He doesn't want anything fantastical. He just wants things to proceed in an orderly fashion, even if it's something as horrific as the besieging of a town during wartime. It's um, mm. he provides an excellent contrast to the Baron, who we are uh, are <coughs> excuse me introduced to. Um, as he strolls down an alleyway and sees that his stories are being told and is none too pleased about it. Mm. Uh, uh, this is uh, the uh, introduction of, of where I learned what modicum of uh, means, <laughs> um, which is a word that I have used forever. Um, and uh, the Baron is... Uh, the stage baron is telling the story about how he was swallowed by a giant fist, but used a modicum of snuff to mm. make it sneeze. <laughs> um, um, uh, Sally, uh, the, the this this <laughs> hush you. Um, with with that act of the play done, uh, uh, Mister Salt. Uh, runs backstage to to get everyone prepped for the the second act. Uh, he yells at Sally, who asks him where her brother is, and he says, mm. "You don't have one. Then why does the poster say Salt and Sons? Uh, that's because that's what you do. That's how you do yeah. it in the theater business. Salt <laughs> and daughters. It always has to be sons." And I'm like, "Ooh, yikes! Yeah, wow, that's." That's too real uh, nowadays. Um, and uh, we uh, start the second act, uh, only to be interrupted by a shockingly old man um, <laughs> with a fantastically croaky, angry voice uh, yelling about how everything is wrong, 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 wrong. And this is the introduction of the true Baron Munchausen. Um, uh, and uh, what were your thoughts on on this character, this this blathering old man that <laughs> walks into this theater? No, I'll go first on this one. So yes. yeah, he he's making a scene. Some people are upset. The crowd is like torn between being entertained and also is this a is it part of the play? And then some people are going yes, and some people are going no, it's not part of the play. Uh, and he's it, you get that feeling like he's like this old fop, um, but he mm. he's, he's armed with his uh, saber. And he's intent on swinging it, but he's so old, it's it's more like it's swinging him around. So the the comedy of it is is spot on, um, but it's also a real sword. So the yes, the cast is like justifiably trying to back off of this guy that's you know saying everything's uh, garbage and it uh, needs to be fixed and he'll be the one to fix it. So it's it's yeah. very enjoyable and you it's you don't know what to expect from there like as you're watching it. So Cameron you're watching this for the first time. So how did this yes. come across to you? Um 
uh, was not entirely unexpected that the real Baron Munchausen would show up at some point. Um, I got to agree, the uh, the physical comedy is great, both here and throughout the rest of the film, honestly. Um, but yeah, I, I was not really sure where exactly it would go from here. Um, but classically, an old man thinks the story is being told wrong. He will tell it correctly. Um, and so we get, we get a flashback sequence and, uh, this is where the movie really starts to take off, I think, because it, it really, uh, shows how ridiculous, uh, it aims to be throughout the entire run of the film, uh, with the flashback of, uh, Baron Mulhausen and the Sultan, um, and, uh, (laughs) it's really, really good. Again, we get fantastic sets, fantastic costuming. Um, all throughout this, but we're we're getting a much younger Baron Mulcazen, and uh, he is he's you know partaken of some fine Turkey uh, wine, courtesy of the Sultan. Said, "Oh, it's not that bad." Uh, but what if I told you I could get a better bottle from the Palace in Vienna, a thousand miles away, within the hour? Um, <laughs> makes a ridiculous wager that he can do this, and if not. Sultan can take his head, um, and uh, we we really start leaning into the absurd here because uh, his his clear answer as to how he's going to do this is he has his assistant Bertholdt, who is a man uh, played by Eric Idle, with <laughs> chains around his feet. So you you know this is going to good start. Uh, he he demanacles himself and is told to run, take his letter to the uh, the queen, the empress. Um, the Empress, right? The Empress, yes. Uh, yes. Um, and so uh, he runs in place so hard he tears up the marble flooring of the Sultan's harem, uh, and then just, like uh, like Sonic, out, <laughs> out the window he goes. Uh, and Munchausen and the, and the Sultan both turn over their hourglasses, and um, we we get really into the, uh, the heavy, ridiculous side of this, because while waiting on a wager for your life, uh, why why not uh, enjoy the finer things in life, like a new uh, a new musical written by the Sultan uh, to be performed on the torture organ? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. God, that thing is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it is. It's just a a, a, a cage of people uh, mm-hmm. on one side, um, some. Uh, automatic spears and um um like head flocking devices which mm. is something that i think i missed i missed every single uh time that i've watched it except for this last one which is just a, <laughs> like a spiked wooden block uh over everyone's head that just hits them in the head to make them mm. Make them cry out, and then on the Sultan side is a rather uh, lavishly decorated uh, pipe organ, and yes, it is his musical, The Torturer's Apprentice, um, uh, which uh, in watching the credits, uh, the lyrics were written by Eric Idle and and someone else, which absolutely makes sense. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, and and yes, there are there. He he performs like three songs, and we get snippets of of, of them all. 
and they're all very tonally different and and yes. also bizarre and awful. Um, and it's 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 really kind of amazing and really just kind of uh, adds quite a bit of uh, character to the uh, to the uh, to the Sultan as mm, well yeah. almost instantly because he is very cordial. He is he is mm. uh, incredibly polite. He isn't some like raving lunatic, but he is like a but he is still a bloodthirsty monster that just kind of like <laughs> accepts that this is this is just how he is because he is is the sultan um yeah um and i always found that to be like very uh, like a very interesting character trait because i think as a kid this was the first time that i had ever encountered like somebody who was clearly evil in media but wasn't like a mustache twirling villain yeah. just like yeah i'm just kind of like yeah, I messed up, but like, would you like some wine and relax <laughs> while we wait for your beheading? Especially because um, his his executioners are prepping the Baron this mm. entire time as well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, do some neck stretching exercises, mm. really get him limbered up so he doesn't hurt the blade or anything. <laughs> Oh, yeah. and also, uh, one of my favorite things is um, uh, he asks if the Baron would like to hear some some of it, and the Baron's like, "No, thank you." And he's like, "No, no, no, it's fine. You'll love it." Um, and <laughs> and the Baron's face just as as the performance begins, like the mm. slow realization of like, "Oh wow, you're awesome. You're you're like super nuts," and and also this is terrible. Uh, mm. Yeah, <laughs> is 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 really fantastic. The Baron summons his horse, which is basically the Kool Aid Man if it was a horse. (laughs) Yes, Uh, we gotta Uh, love Bucephalus. Because uh, Bertolt has not arrived and the hour is almost up. So uh, Mm. (laughs) uh, he he takes Bucephalus and leaps. What a six-story window! Yeah, yeah, just just <laughs> casually. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and uh, uh, speaks to the rest of his crew because the Baron rolls with the Baron rolls with a crew. Um, it's like yep. uh, fantasy X Men. <laughs> mm, yeah, because <laughs> Bertolt Bertolt's basically Quicksilver. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Adolphus. Uh, Adolphus the Rifleman, yep. Yes, it is basically Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh man, I'm 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 Albrecht. Albrecht, uh, big strong man, big strong man. You always need a big strong man, and yep. then uh, Gustavus, Gustavus, who is like like the weirdest, like the one that's like, man, yeah. I need other people to like make my powers like actually shine uh, he can uh he can blow wind really hard and he's also got the best hearing in the world and he mm. is uh played by jack purvis one of my uh favorite one of my favorite character actors who also star was a starred in terry gilliam's time bandits which we will mm. undoubtedly cover at some point 
in the future as well. So I, I did want to briefly interject. Uh, so we've run across pretty much all four of these characters before. They were in yes. um, Ashlad, Espen Ashlad, Askeladden, and the Good Helpers, where I'm pretty sure I went over it, but um, Ashlad had to, he wanted to, he needed to bring this ship to the, the king for, the, for mm. the hand of the daughter. Whoever brought him the best ship would get the hand of the daughter. And he goes, as he's making his way from where he gets the ship to the king's palace, he he's, he bumps into just people on the road that are just unfortunate. And so he like, hey, he's like, jump on the ship and we'll go. So there's the guy with the, he's the fastest in the world with le- weights on his legs. There is the mm. sniper who can shoot across the world. There is the the strong man, and um, I think I think it's a guy that can like eat anything. Like uh, he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll his stomach is now oh, full, yeah. and then I want to say it's the guy that can hear across. So it, it's almost the exact same tropes. And interestingly, also in the other tales um, of the Baron, the the number of servants changes and the nature mm. of them. So usually it's just Bertold, I think. Mm, yeah. So they've added them into this. And I just thought it was really interesting that they popped up in, like, those almost exact same archetypes are from the Norwegian folktales, which Mm. uh, I may have... The the compilation of Askeladden, I think, came after Baron was written, but the tales are older, so it's... Because it's it's pulling from folktales to make other stories, but that was just a fun little... Okay, I've seen these guys somewhere else recently. (laughs) (laughs) Dalthus, Matt... Yes, manages to locate and wake Bertold up by shooting an apple off a tree that he's sleeping under. Bertold just barely makes it. And yes, the wine is significantly better. And the Empress <laughs> has given the Baron a letter, which he just pockets because uh, the Baron is a ladies' man. Uh, mm. We are introduced to that before he begins telling his tale as he regards the actresses. Uh, beautiful ladies. <laughs> and the Baron has won the wager, so uh, now he can take all of the gold out of the treasury that the strongest man he knows can carry. Um, which, <laughs> surprise, he takes everything. Um, because, of course, he does, because that's <laughs> the crew that the Baron rolls with. Hmm. And uh, the sultan is none too pleased and heads the royal treasure um, in the first, well, not the first, but um, the, well, the first beheading of the movie. <laughs> um, and, and sends his guards to attack the Baron and, and they have their, their X-Men fight. Everyone yep. uses their, almost everyone uses their abilities and then the story is interrupted by a shelling attack. Mm. Uh, and we are returned to the real world. I really love the transition uh, for, from the beginning of the story, where it is clearly the theater backdrop. Uh, yeah. and, and then the camera pans around, and it is this incredibly lavish set. There is, in fact, a live tiger on it. There are so many extras. It's wild uh, how, mm. it, like, this movie was expensive in in 1988, and it it would be prohibitively expensive to make uh, today. Yeah. Um, 
it also did horrendously because of poor distribution. Um, the, yes. The, there mm. was a buyout of the companies, I believe, uh, at the time. And it became, like, less a priority to try to market this movie. And it it was, like, 100 copies. There was some, like, ridiculously low copies um, sent out he, to theaters. I think Terry mm. Gilliam said that it was, like, 117. Yeah, it, it, it was... <laughs> It was so many that, like, an art film today would get more of a release yeah, exactly. and not cost anywhere near what this cost to try to make. And the production um, had a lot of troubles because of the weather. <laughs> where they were at, where they had to, like, they could only film for a feet. They were getting, like, a minute of footage at a time, like, per day. So yeah, it was playing with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, which, uh, there, I believe there's a documentary on the 20th anniversary Blu-ray of mm. it. I believe it's the Madness of, of the Baron documentary that details all of that. But yes, I believe at the time Paramount had just been purchased by Sony. Um, so, mm. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> um, uh. Uh, the the theater is evacuated after the shelling uh, begins, uh, and Sally runs backstage and uh, encounters a, a, a mysterious cloaked figure ho- hovering over the Baron. And this is the introduction of literally my favorite like representation of death, the Grim Reaper, in like any piece of media. I love this hmm. death puppet so much. It's so gorgeous. Um, yeah. Um, it is It is super impressive. And it's just like taking a soul. Pretty clearly taking a soul. Uh, and Sally uh, knocks over a plank of wood and disturbs it. And we get it in its full glory. Got a cloaked hood and, and, and stringy red hair. Uh, I love that it wears like lace gloves on its mm. bony fingers. Yeah. Um, and it has these two pin dot light eyes in, in its skull, which is, is super effective as well. Uh, and Sally throws a, a lit candelabra at it, and it explodes into a prop. Um, <laughs> and uh, it where has also... the most frightening death scream of the Nazgul. Oh, yeah. Where it goes, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, a wailing high-pitched shriek uh and um the baron is saved sally knocks over um an hourglass which was sitting next to the baron mm. um which is a thing that keeps uh hourglasses uh are keep popping up in this movie okay. uh she offers to get him a doctor and he is very adamant about no doctors yeah never doctors uh, and then he uh, gets up and berates the child that saved saved his life because that's what you do when when you're mm. a adventurer who's who who's old and cranky. Um, he was tired. He just wanted a, a, a forever nap. Go he away! Is, I'm trying to die. <laughs> he, he is yes. He is a very tired, cranky old man. Uh, and and Sally uh realizes that he may in fact be the real Baron and begins mm. following him around, much to his um um 
consternation. Yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile, the, the shelling attack is still taking place. Uh, and, and the Baron decides to do something about it. And he, he, uh, goes to the, the city walls, asks some soldiers whether or not they're going to return fire. Uh, and he's, and one of them says, we can't, sir. He's like, why not? Because it's Wednesday. <laughs> um, because once again, uh, Horatio has ensured that everything will uh, uh, proceed according to plan, no matter how horrible it is. Um, um, and and then we get uh, we get the the Baron's amazing sequence. <laughs> Cameron, you wanna you yeah. wanna this one because this one was probably a big surprise. <laughs> Yeah, this was this was definitely an interesting one. Uh, so he has to do something about all this uh, this Turkish artillery, clearly. Uh, so he attempts to load a mortar, uh, but in doing so, sort of just essentially drops the cell, uh, the shell, I should say, down the barrel of the gun, uh, which immediately sets off a powder charge down in there. So while he still has a hand on the grip of the mortar shell, it is sent flying at vast and incredible speeds out into the sky with the Baron attached to it still. Um, and he flies all the way across the besieging army through a siege tower, uh, lets go of the mortar shell before it, you know, falls to the ground, and instead uh, gets sort of a glancing blow by a cannonball being returned uh, as, as returning fire from the, uh, from the Turks. Uh, sits himself astride atop that. Uh, his mortar shell has put a dent in the Turkish cannons and sort of given them a, given them a brief reprieve. Um, and as he flies back, sitting astride his cannonball, uh, he flies through the dark clouds and the Grim Reaper is just silently flying alongside him uh, until it turns, notice him, shrieks, uh, attempts to cut him in half with its scythe. He nimbly dodges, deftly out of the way, um... And as the cannonball sort of flies back over the town wall, he just kind of hops off and delicately floats down back to the <laughs> ramparts from whence he came. <laughs> it was one hell of a sequence. <laughs> uh, yes, and and with this ridiculous, improbable, unbelievable, spectacular act, Sally has now become convinced that he is in fact truly Baron Munchausen and uh can save the town if mm. he just tries. Yes. yes. <laughs> um I I really love uh Sally brings him back to the theater. Oh, by the way, uh Horatio has decided that uh, the the performance displeased him and that they need to be out of the gates uh to just be murdered by the Turks. Uh, yeah, by by sunrise, um, which is once again he's he's awful, uh, yeah. and and Sally uh, tells the story of what she just witnessed, and the Baron's like, "That's not true." because she, she's like, "He flew like a hundred miles and and <laughs> destroyed fifteen cannons." And he's like, "That's not what happened. That's a lie." 
And then after she <laughs> angrily stomps off, he clarifies that it was it was more like a mile and a half and maybe two cannons. And and I didn't yeah. fly. I was riding. I rode a border <laughs> shell over there and I rode a cannonball back. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. yes. Yes, because the Baron doesn't lie. He doesn't no, lie. Doesn't even exaggerate, apparently. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and, and, and he decides that, yes, he is going to save the town. But in order to do so, he needs to, he needs to get the old band back together. Um, mm. and in order to do that, he, he needs to find a safe way out of town. So he, uh, he asks the actresses for their knickers, <laughs> so he can stitch them all together to create a hot air balloon. Yep, yep. Uh, three women provide him with half a ton of intimate laundry. Yep. Somehow. <laughs> and the balloons in uh, the shape of pantaloons. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, it's a great balloon. It's a great prop. It's a. It's <laughs> it's real. It's real fantastic. Once again, like the production, the set production and costuming design of this film is mm. is second to none. Um, it is so lavish uh, and amazing. And yes, um, uh, Horatio is informed that they are trying to escape, um, which is <laughs> and which he is not pleased about. Yet he wanted them to leave town, but apparently. He just wanted them to leave town to be murdered, and and cannot fathom that they would would possibly think of escaping. So he sends some soldiers to stop them. Uh, fortunately, the Baron is able to take off uh, and and throws uh, some roses to uh, the <laughs> beautiful ladies uh, and. Uh, starts dumping ballast over mm. the side of the boat. Uh, one of which is just Sally because she was yep. hiding in like a potato sack. Yeah. Uh, he manages to haul her up, and uh, and they sail over the the walls, and uh, the adventure begins. Mm. Uh, Sally asks where where they're going, and the Baron says, "The moon, of course." That's the last time. That's the last place I saw Bertold. Like, how yeah. how do you how do you expect to get to the moon from from here? He finds a way, Dave. Yeah, the moon's just right there. It yeah. is. It is. Um, uh, they get caught in the storm. Um, that destroys almost instantly destroys their hot air balloon. Uh, and they. Fall from the sky onto the moon, um, yep. and and we are given one of my favorite shots in the entire movie. I I'm I'm going to I've watched this the sequence uh, a number of times, and I I have to say I think it's just a model, but it's 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 just a shot of clearly like. Very still, but glass-like water with stars reflected, and then the boat starts sailing across the screen, and the water recedes, and it's sand, and the lights come up, and it's just this like really just gorgeous shot of of 
boat's arrival mm. on the moon. And I, I every single time I see it, I'm just like, man, that's it's really pretty. That's a really pretty <laughs> shot. Um, the moon is littered with stone with columns. It, it, the moon kind of looks like like an area from a Dark Souls game. Actually. <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, the Baron and Sally wake up. The Baron is slightly younger looking, uh, which Sally comments on. And he's like, yes, yes, a little adventure is always good for revitalization. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and and the, the Baron uh, tells Sally all about the king and queen of the moon who have detachable heads. Um, <laughs> of course they do. Yep. <laughs> uh and that uh he, the Baron is in fact one of the king's favorites uh and that they will receive a warm welcome uh and then we get one of my favorite scenes ever uh with the the arrival uh to the the city on the moon Cameron you want to you want to try and describe this really um Oh man, I I do not even know where to start. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, riotous colors, fantastic sights and sounds, and at the center of it all is an Acme style trap set by <laughs> Robin Williams, um, <laughs> who I did not expect because uh, I don't believe he's officially credited uh, in this film. Or no, he's credited as Tuto. Yeah, yes, yes, there we go, King of the Moon. Um. Man, um, I was really, really not expecting Robin Williams to just show up in this. Um, <laughs> it was an absolute delight. Uh, so yeah, he's playing the King of the Moon, or more specifically, the King of the Moon's head. Um, which is, this is really fun and interesting because it's basically the flying saucer style of Alien. Because <laughs> uh, he's, got, he's got this big metallic rough that clearly keeps his head separate and safe. Um, he's got, you know, his pale white skin. He's got a, like a marble column growing out of the top of his head. Um, and, you know, he's like, oh, ever since you left, actually, I've become king of all the known universe. The moon is really not that important. Hmm, ah, focusing on the cosmos, cosmological and celestial, uh, trying to act up all high and mighty, but clearly very distracted. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, the the big the big kicker here with uh, the king and queen of the moon and their detachable heads is uh, the reason they detach their heads is because their bodies have minds of their own and are much more inclined towards the bodily functions, uh, which if one is attempting to maintain control over one's kingdom, uh, is clearly very distracting. Um, so we get the, this is might be one of my favorite Robin Williams characters because <laughs> we get the we get the head of the king attempting to sort of intimidate and cow and wow uh, Sally and the Baron, and then out of nowhere comes the queen pursued by the king's body, which is just you know just just from the body language, so this sort of crass. Uh, harassing kind of just <laughs> awful creature and then the body realizes its head is there and grabs like no no <laughs> just puts his 
puts his own head back on. Yeah. (laughs) I don't care about orgasms and flatulence. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, puts his head back on. All the color rushes back to his face. I'm back, baby. (laughs) Again, completely classic Robin Williams, and just this immense, intense shift in characterization. Uh, to this this greedy, awful, um, very uh, very uh, focused on the earthly pleasures, I guess yes. one could say, uh, character. Um, this is absolutely hilarious. Like he he is crude in the funniest possible way uh, for this setting. <laughs> um, he just eats. He takes a mango and he's just mm. like jamming it in. It's he's barely eating it he's just mm. jamming it into and all over his face and he's so like gross and uh. <laughs> um there is one thing that i really like to point out which i'm just like oh maybe that's where that came from with me mm. which is uh the king of the moon before before his his body steals him back um talks about how uh he he the Baron says, you wouldn't exist if it wasn't for my stories. And the King of the Moon is, says, well, but now that I'm the King of the Universe, I'm infinitely more powerful than you. So it, mm. it doesn't matter that I'm you made me. It, it, it's basically <laughs> the living version of, uh, can God make a rock that God can't lift? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm just like, oh, is that why I love Alan Wake so much? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, uh, uh, the king, the now completed king, is like, oh yeah, that's right. You're that little guy that tried to steal my wife, right? Because as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as the Queen of the Moon sees the Baron, it is clear that there was something going on between oh, yeah. the two of them. Um, yeah. So he locks them in a in in a bird cage, um, a spherical bird cage, which once again is a, an amazing piece of set work. It's so it's really beautiful because um, yeah. once again it's all real. This isn't a matte painting; it's actually a real structure. <laughs> um, and then goes to to harass his wife some more, um, mm. uh, and and. Baron and the Baron and Sally discover Bertold, who is yeah. old and has oh. amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a terrible criminal. What did you do? Hmm. I can't remember. <laughs> well, how do you know you're a terrible criminal? Well, see, I've got these shackles on, so clearly I must be a terrible criminal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good um, logic. Yeah, right? Uh uh-huh. the uh um the queen's head arrives with the key to let them all out. Um, oh man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. Uh well once again, this is one of the benefits of the fact that the Baron can't ever lie, uh, because there is a, a prolonged joke that implies mm. uh, that implies intercourse, and Sally asks what that what's why she's making those noises, and the Baron simply says, uh, "The King of the Moon is tickling her feet." Yep. 
edit, it, it is automatically so. And yes, for the senses. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, she she flies them away from the palace. Uh, uh, asks the Baron to take a lock of her hair after asking the Baron to take her with him, uh, which mm. isn't plausible because she no. is a giant head. Um, <laughs> he gives her a flower um, between her teeth, uh, yeah. <laughs> which almost takes his hand off. Uh, I love that little detail. Uh, and uh, she she departs after depositing them a safe distance, what she thinks is a safe distance away, only for the King of the Moon to realize, and uh, in a really fantastic uh, bit of uh, character work, has tied a bandage around his, his head <laughs> to keep his yes. head from escaping. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and uh, discovers that the queen's head is gone, uh, becomes incredibly jealous, and then summons his horrific moon beast, Griffin yep. Chimera. Yeah, this is my triple-headed uh, leopard vulture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that thing is so weird. Um, it, it is really vulturey in the heads, but there's... Something in the proportions is super off and really uncomfortable. And again, it's a fantastic puppet. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Excuse me, the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah, it is deeply it is deeply unpleasant. It has like eyeball. It's not wearing a helmet. The heads don't have helmets. They just have mm. eye guards over yeah. all of the eyes. Um. Yeah, and the the necks are too long and too too thick. Um, compared mm. to the body, um, uh, and uh, and he he attempts to he attempts to murder the Baron and friends uh, first mm. by throwing a spear a giant spear of asparagus at them, <laughs> um, which Bertold runs into and immediately knocks himself out. He uh, divvies up uh, uh, all of our heroes between the three heads. Mm. Uh, and uh because uh because he did that and this moon beast is apparently stupid all they have to do is just run in opposing directions and it rips itself apart um yeah and it is it is a it is also a clockwork monstrosity as yep. well <laughs> and i'm just like a good measure <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like yep man this is Man, this creature is really unpleasant. Uh, the 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 uh, king of the moon plummets into the surface of the moon, and the body is killed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dave, this uh, this whole sequence is is kind of something. Is there any basis for the for this uh, in in any of the historical? Uh, Munchausen fiction, <laughs> the historical documents. Creation? Let us consult the historical documents. So there was a um, well, it's a 1984 French animated comedy, um, "The Secret of the Selenites," and this was uh, released in the U.S. as "Moon Madness" and in the U.K. as "Moon Trek." Uh, this is the tale of well, it's it's again, it's just based on the narrative of marvelous travels and campaigns in russia so the original novel uh where the baron uh has traveled to the moon 
and he goes there to entreat with the, the Selenites and ends up defending them from aliens and <laughs> due, to, due to his valiant efforts is given um, a, like a, a tonic that will grant any wish I think is what happens he drinks oh. that it gives him immortality and his or, I think it makes you immortal but you can get some other property from it he just he, he asks for that he remain that age forever so that aspect is what goes into this where his youthful vigor is restored by adventure is is what that is the analog of what that tonic had done so he's he's right. immortal and at the age of his like prime exploits um as long as he's adventuring hmm. yeah okay okay well then that's probably what happened during that previous adventure where he just abandoned Bertold on <laughs> yes yeah and that makes sense. Very, he was very upset about it and then he was just like no that sounds about right <laughs> yeah yeah yep. that was good he was like i can't believe you left me and he's like and i'm back so let's go and he's like uh, okay <laughs> yeah all right yes, when he, because when he knocked himself out on the asparagus it it uh it jogged his memory <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes yes uh 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 audience I, I want you to to bask in that sentence that dave spoke just as much as as i am um, <laughs> when he knocked himself out on that asparagus it jogged his memory um, <laughs> but yes they uh they were also granted a lock of the queen's hair uh which they wove into a rope as they were running from the clockwork beast somehow along the edge of the crescent of the moon uh, to to climb down back to Earth on the lock of hair that was maybe, like, two feet long, and then <laughs> many, many more feet um, than that, spun from the finest of the selenite hair. And that, mm. that takes us to the next bit of adventure, uh, because, they yes, they do make it back to the Earth, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> well, because the Baron hands... the Bertold reaches the end, and the Baron hands him some more rope, uh, and he asks where he got it from, and he says, I just cut it off from the top. Just tie it to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. He got it. Uh, and yes, they plug it back to Earth into a volcano, uh, <laughs> which is the the forge of Vulcan. Yes, the god Vulcan played by Oliver Reed, uh, and uh, who is in the middle of a labor dispute with his Cyclops workers. Um, We're all giants. Uh, they're all yes, giants. Yes, they're yeah. all giants. Uh, they land in the volcano, make a crater. Um, my favorite part, and I, I, there's a part of me that wonders if this was just, a, if this was uh, a joke from the start, or just a, a limitation, but when Vulcan pulls the Baron, who, when he grabs him, he is relatively tiny, and pulls him out of the hole, the Baron is now a giant, just like the rest of them, and so yeah. is Bertold and, and Sally. They are all the same mm. size now that they've exited the crater. Um, <laughs> it is a very, very funny joke. <laughs> Considering, except for Sally, they're actually both the Baron and Bertold are taller than Vulcan and the, yes. uh, the Cyclops. Mm. Yes. 
Uh, not, not by and, a lot, but just enough to make it make the exchange like very funny because <laughs> the Vulcan has spent the time pontificating that they're huge, strong giants. He's like, "You little man! Oh wait, well I'm still strong." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Vulcan's very strong. He's mastered nuclear physics. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. He shows them around the workshop. He's like, "Listen, I'll make weapons for anyone if they're willing to pay." Blah 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 blah. He's like, mm. "This is an intercontinental ballistic nuclear warhead." He's like, "What does it do?" Oh well, um, it, it just kills everything. Pets, mm. cats, dogs, people, everyone. And and all you have to do is just push a button. And the Baron's like, well, wh- where's the where's the fun in that? And Sally's like, well, mm. that's, that's awful. And he's like, no, no, no. Because if you just push the button, you don't have to see any of it happen. I'm like, ooh, mm, yeah. there's, a, there's that biting commentary. And I'm like, mm. wow. Um, and uh, he then invites them for tea. Uh, and yeah. we get a really fan because the the workshop is grimy and 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 and, and hot and everyone's sweaty and gross and, and, and especially Vulcan. And then we cut to a incredibly lovely little tea room where they're all drinking tea out of tiny mm-hmm. little teacups, uh, yep. which would be normal human sized teacups if they weren't all giants now. <laughs> Uh, and we are uh, introduced to, uh, reintroduced to, man, I'm bad with the, these, these names. Uh, Albrecht. Albrecht. Albrecht, yes. Uh, who, who, is, who has become Vulcan's maid because, yes. <laughs> because he, this is the only place where he isn't a big, strong man and, he, and he's <laughs> tired of being a big, strong man. So he mm. just decided to become Vulcan's maid. <laughs> uh, and uh, we are then introduced to Vulcan's wife, Venus, yeah. uh, mm. played by Uma Thurman. Yep. Yep. Uh, so okay. Crazy you, had seen her, you had seen her earlier in the film, Cameron. Um, um, did you recognize Uma Thurman I did, as... Uh, I did not earlier in the film. I did at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, each of the beautiful yeah. ladies ends up being a queen, or like the the, the queen of the yeah. moon is is the older actress older. of the beautiful ladies. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yes, and uh, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, uh, she appears by recreating the birth of Venus. Yep, because she is <laughs> Venus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, it, it it was a perfect entrance, honestly. <laughs> it was really faithful to like the the art piece, which yes. I almost didn't expect in like a comedy film. But it was like just if the birth of Venus was a film sequence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, uh, Vulcan uh, dotes on her. Uh, she is mm. clearly very bored with him. Uh, he crushes some coal into a diamond, which she then tosses onto... No, she hands to her handmaidens, who then toss mm. it onto a pile of diamonds that he has clearly made for her. Um, yeah. And she sees the Baron, and, intre- uh, and her, her interest is immediately piqued, 
uh, yeah. and asked if uh, he would care to dance. Um, mm. And takes him into the ballroom, which, once again, if we're going to talk about lavish sets, oh. this, this, uh, it is it is both simultaneously a beautiful ballroom and a cave and full of fountains. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Vulcan isn't pleased by any of this. Um, uh, and they begin dancing, and I believe one of his lines is is Vulcan watching them dance and float into the sky, and he just screams, We just had it done! Do you like it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just had our ballroom redone. <laughs> Isn't it lovely? <laughs> uh, Bertolt uh, attempts to... Uh, to um, distract Vulcan from from uh, from uh, his wife's clear philandry uh, mm. by dancing poorly, um, mm. which I love because um, Vulcan clearly isn't a dancer. So the only dance move he has is to just jump up and down. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. Sally's like, yo, dude, we got my town. Like, come on. I, we don't yeah. have time for this. Um, and we get flashes of the town, and surprise, the town is being besieged, even though the Baron keeps saying that everyone's fine. Uh, which, you know, technically means that it's true then. But man, it doesn't look like things are fine. Um <laughs> The Baron and Venus eventually ascend to heaven where they kiss, and Sally's like, okay, I'm done with this, and just goes and tells Vulcan that the Baron's kissing his, his wife. Um, yeah. Uh, Vulcan puts it into that and then throws everybody into a magic whirlpool. That, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, they all emerge are in the South Sea, which, if you recall from mm. the beginning, means that there might be something lurking in that water. Um, also, it's revealed that that Venus deliberately did that to Vulcan to inspire. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> to, that king. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, that's 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 the actual end of that. Is that's. That that's the thing that they do because they're <laughs> gods and the gods are capricious, um, yeah. which is really kind of thematically fitting if, if yeah. you yeah. think about it. <laughs> um, yes, everyone, everyone's stuck in the middle of the ocean. Sally's like, "Come on, what? Why?" Why? Why you? Why? We gotta get back. We don't have time to this. Also, you look old again. And he's like, "Well, you, when you remove a man from the heights of heaven, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, they see an island, which turns out to not be an island, uh, and they are swallowed by a fish. It is horrific looking, um, oh, and yeah. terrifying." Um, <laughs> And uh, they uh, enter the belly of the beast, and you cannot convince me that somebody who uh, worked on the very first Pirates of the Caribbean movie did not look at all these set pieces and say, 
that's what Captain Barbosa's ship is supposed to look like. Because yeah. it just yeah. literally looks like the mo- the most like Pirates of the Caribbean thing ever. <laughs> um, because they find a pirate, they find a bunch of pirates uh, that have built a, a, a structure out of all the destroyed ships that the sea monster has eaten. Uh, and uh, we uh, find our last two uh, uh, assistants playing mm. poker, and and yep. they are super old. Oh and, yeah, and uh, Adolphus. Uh, I love Adolphus's really squeaky, horrible voice. Yeah. I'm just like I I I think it's really just a a really interesting choice because it's not like mm. his, his his superpower was um uh, tied to his voice in any way, <laughs> but still he just well, he does have make... glasses and then one of them is like the eye patch darkened out glass. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> yes. Uh. And they're both old and in in bad condition. And uh, they just say, hey, come on, welcome, come on, just sit down, uh, play a game, just relax, we're, we're all dead here, we're, you know, there's <laughs> no way out, there's no escape, so we're all just technically dead, so why don't we just enjoy ourselves while, while we wait to actually die, uh, <laughs> and, um, and then uh, the Grim Reaper starts dealing them cards. Yep. Yep, still here, still yep. waiting. <laughs> um, and I really love how long it takes for Sally to realize that Death is just sitting there in the corner dealing cards. Yeah, <laughs> um, but she's super concerned. She's like, "You're giving up. You can't do this. You promised." And he's like, "Leave me alone!" Nah. Um, uh, and she spots Death and screams, which, which. Uh, and knocks the cards out of Death's hands, who just poofs uh, away. Uh, and he's like, oh, you horrible brat! Why can't mm. you just let me die in peace for once? Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, because she won't let him, the Baron uh, uh, <laughs> summons his horse, which, once again, Kool-Aid mans into the ship. Yeah. There's no... <laughs> explanation for how this horse got in here this horse clearly wasn't in this uh giant fish uh before <laughs> um don't ask don't question it uh and uh he gathers everyone up and uh, uh uses a modicum of snuff to make the fish sneeze and they are expelled in a rowboat except for the baron <laughs> who magically mm. lifts himself and his horse out of the water by pulling up on his own ponytail, thus defying the laws of physics, because the Baron is in fact God. Um, <laughs> and and he is, he is once again young. Uh, he yep. is at fit fighting age. Sadly, his assistants are not. But uh, there is a benefit that they have what somehow magically arrived at the town. Um, somehow. Somehow. <laughs> the the Baron attempts to, to rally his troops, who are once again too old, too tired, too busted and broken. 
Uh, and in uh, because he, he so the Baron decides to turn himself in. Hmm. Uh, goes to see the the Sultan, uh, and surprise, the Sultan and Horatio are working together, which is, uh, I mean, not really that surprising given his character, but they are just casually, like, uh, discussing the terms of who's going to surrender. This time. (laughs) This time? Well, we surrendered last time. You, but we're winning. We're 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 winning. Well, you know, oh, it's it's gross. But the the Sultan, uh, the Baron, uh, gives his head up to the Sultan. And uh, and um. And uh-huh. and the execution is once again about to take place. Uh, uh, <laughs> and Cameron, can you yes. can you d- yes talk about this because this is the <laughs> <laughs> there is a uh, a series of fantastic acts. The uh, the the simple bit in the summary. Um, oh God, where do we even start? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um oh god i only watched this four hours ago um <laughs> uh so as as the um as the not really an axe the glaive i guess <laughs> yeah of the yeah, execution is, is uh yeah yeah uh as the blade falls down upon the uh upon the baron's neck there is a sudden flash um, it has been shot, and away goes spinning half the blade, uh, near decapitating the sultan, um, splitting open his turban to reveal that it's not actually a turban, but kind of just a sphere-shaped fabric thing that's completely <laughs> hollow, uh, which looks absolutely hilarious. Um... <laughs> Um, the, the Baron, you know, snatches up his sword, he's he's fighting his way through this, uh, there are several beheadings, um, (laughs) in, all all in the the style of the very first one, which is to say, extremely fast, uh, cut of just a head, suddenly, from frame to frame, there's a guy with a head, and there's a guy without a head, um, (laughs) unfortunately, we don't get the, uh, don't get, we don't get the fall in someone's lap and wink. Uh, that the very first petting <laughs> the film gave us. I love that. That was hilarious. Um, yeah, uh, it, it is. Uh, it is. One would say all out chaos. Uh, so many different things happen, but um, essentially the Turkish lines are quickly falling into disarray as the Baron and his companions uh, take them apart piece by piece. They have war elephants, uh, and the solution to this clearly is to get Gustavus to gently blow a mouse. <laughs> over to where the elephants are and cause them all to freak out. Um, Gustavus is also just blowing uh, at his regular in- incredible power and, you know, blowing over scores of uh, Turkish soldiers. Uh, you've got Adolphus making the impossible shots and all of that. Um, I can't remember exactly what Albrecht is up to, but presumably some massive feats of strength. He, he oh, ends up... Oh, God, um, that's what he's doing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he grabs three ships by the anchors, uh, and uh, essentially, like it's it's like the wasn't the 
I forget the name. It's the toss from the Olympics. The oh. hammer toss or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. He stands yeah. on like a little rock out in the ocean and yeah. on the shore and spins until yeah. he has enough momentum to throw them at the, the Turks. <laughs> yeah, it was just a series of incredible events. <laughs> um, uh, you know. Bertolt saves the Baron's life by mm. hey guess oh, what God, I, yes. I guess I guess we know where where those Quicksilver sequences from those X Men mm. movies came from <laughs> because we get the 1988 version of that um, yeah. where he chases a bullet chases a bullet <laughs> and uh, my favorite thing about this the thing that I I've always loved the most is that when he catches up to it and grabs it the first time it's too hot for him to hold on to yeah. <laughs> and i'm like oh man that's you know you didn't have to do that like that's that's a <laughs> bit of real like realism in this clearly ridiculously unrealistic scene but man mm. it's kind of refreshing to be like oh yeah of course it would be way too hot to just grab <laughs> immediately yeah yeah essentially <laughs> yeah uh it, it is just God, it is hard to describe because it's also like a couple of solid couple of minutes of this yes. going on, and there is so much happening. Uh, Bucephalus the Wonder Horse gets in on it as well, obviously. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, it ends. It ends with the routing of the Turks, and you know, Silly flings the gates open to celebrate. Uh, there's a massive, wonderful parade, um, and up in that tower where we first saw the statue of the Angel of Death, uh, Horatio Jackson is sitting up there with a rifle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> by God, if he's going to do one thing, it's going to be to restore the reasonable order <laughs> of this city. Um, and in the middle of this victory par- parade, um, Baron Mulcausen is shot dead uh, in the heart uh, well, near dead, I should say. He falls off his horse. Uh, he's clearly struggling terribly. They bring him a doctor. The Ugh. most dubious doctor. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Doctor Jesus Christ. Death. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, they called for a doctor, not an undertaker. This is yeah. clearly... <laughs> yeah, uh, all in black with just this awful pale face showing up uh, out of a hood and hat combo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> extremely sinister and Sally knows it um, yes. and you know desperately begs and cries and screams to get the doctor away from him and the doctor is of course the angel of death which finally after all this time collects the Baron's soul and that is just only one of the many occasions on which I met my death yes <laughs> surprise it was I all I heartily recommend it <laughs> <laughs> Um, I really love, I love the cut because it's Mm. clearly there's the funeral and everyone's emotional and everything's there. And then it cuts back to the theater and everyone clearly did just experience that, that actually did happen, question mark. (laughs) Everyone's super emotional about, about his death as he talks about how much you should try dying every once in a while. I mean, listen, he said it. It had to have happened. <laughs> uh, and he closes off the tale with um, 
what I, I really like this this take on the, instead of the traditional everyone lived happily ever after, it's everyone who had a talent for it lived happily ever after. Yes, <laughs> which is a great little addendum to the usual end of a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, uh, the Baron leads the acting troupe, all the citizens and such, out into the city. Um, the uh, the right ordinary and his men attempt to stop them, uh, but they will not be stopped. They march forwards and they fling open the gates, and it, it is clear that indeed the city has been saved. Yes. Uh, despite the fact that this was all a story uh, that he was just telling them, but it also happened at the same time, vividly. Yes. Uh, and the Turks outside are in disarray. The day has definitely been saved. Um, and just, just to com- compound the terrible mystery of this man, he gets up on his horse and he rides off and disappears in a beam of sunlight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we will return one day when he's needed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In the small, nameless town's hour of great need. <laughs> <laughs> he just need. Yes, all the bear needed was somebody to actually believe him because the age mm. of reason was is was his literal antithesis. And he thus he withered away until he could find an adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we close on some really lovely credits. Uh, um, yeah, very fancy. Very fancy. <laughs> uh, and that is the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Mm. What a charming little movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Goddamn. <laughs> um, yes, I, I I was really, really hoping for you specifically, Cameron, that this was a new thing, because once again, like, surprise, here's a, here's a movie that has, like, oozing, exploding with star power that you've never even <laughs> seen before. Oh, um, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's just a wonderful charming little film it, uh, once again it is it's got it's fantasy violence like um like like yes there are like six decapitations in this movie but it's <laughs> not like a blood fountain out of every no. nickel um it is very cartoonish um it is it, it, it's just a weird bizarre movie that just could never be made nowadays oh yeah uh, and and Dave, how about you? How was your rewatch of the Adventures of Baron Munchausen? Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I the one I never really watched later in life was um, Time Bandits, so I need to see that again. And I have not seen Brazil, and these are yes. they are supposed to form like a loose meditation on the stages of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brazil is on the to-do at some time, just I don't know when I'll eventually get to it, as I've been telling myself for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, say It never makes I, it into I, the schedule. I, I've also never seen Brazil, and I guess I am now at the age where where it would be most salient. <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, because it's weird. Like, uh, I believe I believe this is the, the these three films: Time Bandits, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, and Brazil are loosely titled the Imagination uh, Trilogy. 
Um, yeah. Yes, and it's it's youth, middle age, and old age. Yes, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting that I'm like, okay, I'm cool about watching the youth one. I'm cool about watching the old age one. I ooh, middle age, huh? <laughs> mm. Now that it's now that it's almost here. Now that it now that it is it is literally here, I'm like, uh, I guess I gotta look 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 <laughs> at the look at the look in the mirror on this one. I'm sure, this is going to be fun. Yeah, but no, this was a lot of fun. Uh, as so, the violent stuff was is is that kind of cartoonish, except for in the beginning, which it was not. They were that was pretty straightforward. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is a nice, like, tone setting and to diverge from that into the fantastical and to kind of circle back around again, but with the touch of, like, it's it's a bit of levity and uh, returning that sense of wonder to the Age of Reason, which is the whole point of the movie. Uh, in, in addition, that's, that's, that's kind of the plot of the fabulous, or no, um, yeah, fabulous, um, Baron Munchausen. Uh, in that one, it is a modern day uh, astronaut that goes to the moon, but it's the moon of Jules Verne, and he runs into uh, uh, Don Quixote and I think a couple other. I don't remember who. A couple other figures. That no, was Don Quixote. Um, I don't know why. I, I forget who he, he runs into. Other literary figures and Baron Munchausen, who all they're hanging out on the moon, but they think that he's a a moon man so <laughs> the baron's like i will educate him in the ways of um fantastic adventures and so i will take him to earth where he can appreciate fine wines and all all manner of things and that's where they go on their adventures to um to turkey and uh then the adventures go from the, it's very short uh the Baron realizes, I guess, that the guy is actually because he keeps saying he's from Earth. He's like, "I'm not from the moon. I'm from Earth," um, but he's from present day. So it's it's set in uh, that uh, Russo-Turk war, and then begins to kind of at the end segue back into the time of the the, the astronauts present day, uh, where he sort of becomes a new version of the Baron. Like as far as his exploits are concerned, um, right? But the, the Baron in that one is very—he's a ladies' man to the extent that like it can only be him. So he's very upset when the um, the astronaut ends up falling in love with a, a captured um, princess uh, by the Sultan, and they both are yeah. trying to woo her at the same time. But it's it's sort of. Uh, it's slapstick a little bit because their 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 efforts are both kind of thwarted because they're both doing it at the same time, and she's just gonna go off and do her own thing, but then does fall in love with the the astronaut instead of the Baron, which is at uh, no end of frustration for the Baron. But um, it's 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 his his character is in full force there. He's he's um. They're running through to. They want to do like a midnight um, escapade to go to go rescue the princess, and the they're creeping across like the rooftops, and the astronaut's like really bad at it. He's like keeps slipping and stuff, and the Baron's just kind of jauntily walking along. He's like, "You're not very good at this, are you?" <laughs> and he's like, uh, "I think the Baron falls, but like lands gently on the on the little um, 
uh, some tarpaulin. It's uh, like the the roof of those little cloth stalls. Oh, okay. So he like bounces off that, and he's on the ground. He's like, "See, it's just like this." And the other guy just crashes through it. <laughs> when, he, when, he goes down, when, he, when he goes down, he just pops right through it. So he doesn't have like that that fantastical advantage at that point. Um, the, all the guards show up, and the Baron's just he's kind of doing the same thing where uh, he doesn't have his horse here, but he's just running in circles, and the guards all get confused. I think he blows a candle out because it's nighttime. So it's all dark. Um, the cinema, the cinematography is fantastic. You're, they just do like sparks, but it's not coming from anything. It's like a, a pre-filmed spark in the darkness. And then it'll be light for a moment, and then you'll watch their swords cling. Uh, and they ends up like defeating like 80 guards. Uh, and the, the, the astronaut guy fought like two. But the guys were like pretty big. <laughs> So it was more realistic for him. Like, he's having trouble right. fighting two people like you would. Uh, and the Baron's <laughs> yeah. just beating up all these guys. And there's a um, an advisor, and I think it's the Sultan. But it might just be another advisor. Uh, they're both playing chess, and the Baron's, like, pops up behind him, sticks his arm through the... Uh, one guy's thinking, so he has his arm kind of crooked. So he has one hand on his chin, and then his arm is crooked, <laughs> and then the ba- the Baron's arm comes through, and it's like moving the pieces, and, he- and the guy's like nodding, like mm-hmm, yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the move. And the other guy's <laughs> looking at him, just see- seeing like he's you can see him counting, like wait, there's three, something's not right. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so it's it's the comedy is that kind of comedy where it's like it's 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 funny, but it's in measured, it's very measured doses. Uh, mm. But again, the just the the color palettes and the fact that the backgrounds are all these hand drawn, uh, just really rich ink um, sketches. It, it's worth watching just to like see some of that uh, and to kind of get a little bit of different take on on the Baron and his 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 wily ways because he's he's trying super hard uh, when he's wooing versus the effortless effortless effort. Lessness, uh of the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. <laughs> so it's 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 neat, um, and the the the, the cadence of it's different. Uh, I think the other part that stuck out was when they first go meet the Sultan. The Baron is, I guess, is speaking um, in Turkish, <laughs> and it they didn't even bother. <laughs> they just made these weird like accordion sounds like wah, 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 like this weird noise uh, uh-huh. and then he would turn and, and speak in French to the uh, the astronaut and then the astronaut's trying to go shake the sultan's hand because that's what he would do since he's modern uh, and then as soon as he gets close to the throne he steps on a plate and all these pneumatic spears come out so it's (laughs) i was going oh maybe that's where they got the torture box idea because it's just these spears and when he steps off the plate the spears go away and then he gets close Uh. that he 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 steps back and the um because at first i thought it was guards because you're getting the view from the sultans like ah over his shoulder so you see how these spears come out from the throne and it it uh, circles the camera circles around and the guys, he steps back, and the Baron's like, "Oh yeah, he's very protective of his throne, and you shouldn't. You're not supposed to 
walk up on him like that anyway. Like <laughs> we, we bow from right. here. Uh, and the, because he's from the eight, like beyond the age of reason, um, the, the, the astronaut, he's like, Oh, uh, okay. And he just walks up and keeps stepping on the thing. Like, for, <laughs> like five or six times, like over and over again. And he's like, this could use some oil. <laughs> is is his takeaway because it's like a little squeaky um right but it that infuriates the sultan and the sultan doesn't say anything or he he i think he presses a button and the throne recedes into these curtains it just pulls the throne <laughs> his chair backwards into the shadows and like a bunch of guards come out to get mad at them it's it it's like it's very charming mm. but yeah it, the the fact that he was there's been wah, 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 wah. it's like a charlie brown <laughs> noise yeah when he was just going okay this is doing some of the same stuff that the the terry gilliam did as far as it's doing unflattering like tropes and character of other culture it's like okay but it, it's 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 in order of how the originals were formed but it's definitely um there's no sense of it being like politically correct or you're just going okay so maybe maybe not some of this like the tor- torture organ <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but it's good it's it's yeah. worth uh taking out checking out and it's on amazon prime for if you remember it's free yeah but yeah this well. was, it's a lot of fun it's a there's a lot going on and just reading the original books would be pretty interesting also on the list of to do so yes if if anything that we've talked about uh today has piqued your interest you should uh look into the numerous (laughs) versions and medias of uh our dear baron munchausen um and i think that this will uh, be the perfect place to close out our little story for today. <laughs> so, before we head off into head head off to fade away into the sunrise, uh, uh, Cameron, where can people yes. find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Um, Come if you want to see what's happening in the world of stonks. I guess it's been a really weird week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dave, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter also at sentinut underscore plus, which will be in the notes as per usual. And Leonard, how about yourself? You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Faust is dead. And you can find me on YouTube because, yes, Finally, some of you might be aware, but finally, my latest video essay, uh, Greece, A Beautiful Sorrow, has been released and has been released for uh, about a week at this point. Um, And you can watch that on YouTube uh, by searching Dr. Faust is Dead as well. It's a pretty good piece of work, if I do say so myself. Um, Really happy with it. Uh, and yes, and, uh, also I suppose that I have, uh, 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 pulled the curtain back on this on Twitter. I am working on a short story with a good friend of mine, 
Um, uh, you may have seen some artwork associated with it, with a horrible monst monstrosity stalking out from a mine shaft. Um, so if you are interested, uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, you know, we have no idea when it'll be finished. Uh, but yes, that is a thing in production. I, I'm working on literary projects now, which is super <laughs> weird to say and also sounds semi arrogant because really I'm just the overview outline guy and, and my buddy Steven is doing all of the work because he's a writer <laughs> uh, and, and I get to cotton the weeds whenever I try to write anything. <laughs> that isn't a script so yeah keep an eye out for that um and i think that is going to do it thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of monster dear monster we will be back with something at some point in the future <laughs> and that is the only thing that i can confirm because much like the baron i'm not a liar Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye, folks. Bye.